Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Elizabeth Emery, and this is Hear Her Sports. We're just returning from a break, and I'm super excited to get back into it with today's guest, Colette Smith. She is the first African-American female coach in the NFL, the first female coach of the New York Jets, her longtime favorite team, a former player with the professional women's football team, the New York Sharks, and the founder of Believe in You Incorporated, which she started about a year ago to empower black youth, girls, and women, and to bring positive change to the world. Colette is also just an absolutely stunning person, so full of energy, hilarious, while also talking about serious, important stuff. She has completely inspired me to step it up a notch, so I hope you're inspired as well. Colette's story is precisely why I love sports. Stay tuned to hear why football is so important to her and how she dumped a bunch of friends. And also, she has some breaking news about what she's working on now. So let's get started. Welcome, Colette, and thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Could you start just by talking about what you're up to right at this minute and what you have planned for the next six to 12 months? Yes, of course. So uh, the company is called Believe in You Incorporated. And what I do with Believe in You Incorporated is I visit schools in low income and underserved communities. And normally they're black youth. And I'm a black girl. And uh, it's very important to me to give back because I remember when I was a little girl, going to schools when I was growing up and nobody ever came of any kind of caliber or had a, po- a positive platform, came to my school and told us we were important, told us we were capable of doing anything. And uh, so it is my innate duty to give back and to let these children know that they are worthy, that they should value themselves, that they are capable of achieving anything that is in their mind that they've ever dreamt about. So that's where I stand today. That's what I do mostly. I also do lots of speaking engagements at universities, colleges, corporations, leadership programs where I'm either a guest speaker or I'm on a panel. Um, Yeah, so that's some of what I do with Believe in You Incorporated. Great. Let's just jump right into that. So you are incredibly confident, and I've heard you say go big. Where did you get that confidence and the ability to go big? Um, You know, I think from my dad. I think growing up, my dad would always tell me that I can do do whatever it is that I want if I work hard for it, you know. And then on, on the polar opposite side of the spectrum, I've learned a lot from my mother who is very soft-spoken and very quiet. And she never, in my opinion, from what I experienced, never really stood up for herself. And my mom was just very overly nice. And if somebody said something that was inappropriate or wrong, my mother wouldn't say anything. But she would come home and complain about it to my dad. And of course, I'd always be listening. Kids listen to everything that adults say. (laughs) And I would always take that in. And I was always angry that my mom would never speak up for herself. And I was like, I'm not going to allow that to happen to me. I think you just get sick and tired of being sick and tired. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. So how did you end up not modeling her and, you know, sort of going to the polar opposite? Because I just didn't like that she didn't like it. You know, it's, it's one thing if it doesn't bother you and somebody is you know, um, 
putting demands on you or saying things that maybe aren't so nice. Or they may say them in a nice tone, but they're not nice words. And my mom complained about it at home, but she never spoke up about it. So I was frustrated and I just knew I never wanted to be like that. You know, so she indirectly taught me something. Right, right. And it's interesting how my mom and dad, they're so very different. Um, My mom is a, a very classy Southern girl. You know, if you come to my parents' house, my mom's house, she would offer you something to drink. Are you hungry? Let me get you something. Are you okay? Do you need anything else? You know, she was all about that. And my dad was more on the side of, what are you doing at my house? (laughs) And he was very cynical. He's he's very cynical and um, he means well. He just, his delivery is just totally different. And um, so there are times when I am like my mom, you know, it depends on my environment. So if I'm somewhere, I do have those ladylike tendencies and that, you know, it's, it's pretty innate for me to, uh, I guess, just, you know, take in whatever. I, I, I can be a chameleon based on the experiences of my parents. Do you have other role models besides the two of them? I mean, several, actually several. My Aunt Leveda, my grandmother's younger sister. My, my great Aunt Leveda was a model. She was featured on many covers of magazines here in New York, and she was just an, another class act. However, she spoke up for herself. You know, she would tell me, like, I, I used to, I remember talking to my Aunt Leveda, telling her things like, why do you cater to Uncle Bob so much? Like, you make sure his dinner's cooked all the time, and you're like, oh, Bob is coming home from work. I Let me prepare his food and get all of his things together. And I kind of saw that as a weakness. Like, why are you like doing this all the time? Like, good grief. And I remember her sitting me down and she said, you know, Colette, my husband, your uncle Robert, loves me. He takes good care of me. So I take good care of him. And we're fine with this. I'm happy to do so. And she says, just look at the bigger picture sometimes. You're seeing it from your perspective. Just as if I'm only just making sure he has food and his slippers are ready. She goes, but the bigger picture is he loves me, he treats me right, and I want to do this with him and for him. And that kind of changed the whole paradigm for me. <laughs> like, wow. So you can still stand up for yourself, be who you are, love somebody else and take care of them and nurture them in the ways in which you want to. We should be allowed to do that. It's just amazing. I, I love to see both sides of the spectrum. I, I love it. And uh, it makes me grow as a person. Another um, mentor or model in my life has been my Aunt Ronnie. She danced by the beat of her own drum. And uh, Aunt Ronnie, you know, had her doctorate. She was uh, she worked at a school in a very bad neighborhood. And usually, un- unfortunately, and hopefully this will change soon, the bad neighborhoods were usually where black folk lived. Our schools were not as good, and she would always talk about how much she would speak to the kids there and let them know, you are not your environment. You are not. And I just sucked that all up too. I absorbed that like a sponge as well. And she was so articulate and so poised and confident, and at the same time, very hospitable. (laughs) And I'm thinking, wow, this is incredible. 
Billie Jean King is another one of my mentors and idols. Oh my gosh, uh, love I love Billie her. Jean King. Oh my goodness, Billie Jean King is everything. She stood and stands for the right things in this world. And I respect her and I, I try to model that as well. You know, her fight that she had with fighting for the help Title IX go through. Legislation that was enacted in 1972 to benefit and make equal capacities of sports for girls as well as boys and equal parts. I mean, that's incredible. You know, we, we as people probably thought about this but never did anything to make it happen. You know, so she's a change agent. I love Billy. Oh my goodness. I feel like I'm a pre-Title IX baby. Do, you're a little bit younger than I am. Do you feel like you were able to take advantage of what came out of that passage in 1972? I did it only because my sport of choice was football. So that was a big order back then. I was born in 1969. If I would have enjoyed basketball or softball or things like that, it, it would have helped me out. However, I was football. I loved football, but girls were just, that was something that nobody discussed except for girls are not allowed. So no, it didn't help me particularly. <laughs> Huh, interesting. So I want to go back to Believe in You. Describe one of your visits to the schools and, you know, how have you found ways to encourage girls to dream big? Um, I find it that my transparency and me being completely vulnerable to these girls, uh, boys too, boys too, all black youth. When I visit a school, I usually don't like to be introduced. I bring a 10 minute promo reel and I ask the principal or the administrator to just get everybody wherever we wanna be and I have them play my, my 10 minute promo reel. And all of a sudden you see the kids, cause I like to watch the kids' faces. And you know, listen, kids love visuals. So having this video in there with me playing football with me being all over the news on ABC, NBC, PIX11, Fox 5 News, New York One, the kids are seeing, first of all, a girl playing football. And they're all like, wait a minute, girls don't play football. Already I've achieved something with these children. You know, they're thinking outside the box now because they're identifying what they think they're not allowed to do or what somebody else is not allowed or maybe capable as well to do. So I let that play. And then after that finishes, the kids all start to applaud. And you can see the happiness in their eyes. Like you can see it. Like, wow, this girl accomplished this. And now they're, they are starting to think about if she did that, what can I do? What will I go after and do now? And that's what I want. I want them to think outside of the box and think bigger for and of themselves. What are the barriers holding girls back right now? A lot of the same barriers that held us back, that held me back, they still exist. I think girls thinking that they have to, what is the right word? That girls think that they have to be sexy in order to love themselves. You know, the more skin we show, the more attention I get. And girls believe that that's a good thing. And I think that's a societal issue. 
where, you know, I fell into that. I, you know, I, I fell into that. Um, I, I call it the caveman days. You know, we're, we're still in the caveman days. There are girls that are still being mistreated, whether it be by their parents. And, you know, the, the mom may not be empowered. So if the mom is not empowered, the, 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 the child, the girl may not be empowered. Or the girl may not pick up when she doesn't like her mom not being empowered, like what happened with me. Boys treating them wrong, you know? I mean, something as simple as a boy that a girl may like. A boy might say, come here, I want to talk to you. Come here right now. Well, any, I know I'm not going to come here right now. No way. <laughs> so I want these girls to realize their power, realize their, you know, their dignity. And, and, you know, act accordingly. I'm not, I'm not asking for any girl to say, I'm not going to come here now. Just, no, I'm sorry. You don't get to talk to me like that. You know, what is it that you need? Let's have a conversation. So I just, I think equipping girls with the right tools to learn how to handle themselves in different situations. So after the video plays and they clap, then what happens? Then I um, introduce myself. And I tell the girls and the boys, yes, that's me. And I made it, if you want to call it that. I made it, but I'm still not where I need to be. There's still much more work to be done. And so I start talking about me and how I am a four-time rape survivor. And there were many, many years when I didn't love myself. And I'm very emotional. So I usually start to uh, tear up. I've been trying not to, but I can't help it. <laughs> and I just learned to accept it. Like Colette, it is what it is. <laughs> you know, so um, I think all of a sudden now, everybody leans in a little bit more out of their chairs. They lean forward. And I discuss lots of personal struggles that I went through in my life. And I let them know that Today I love myself. Today I do. That was something that I never thought I would be able to say, feel, or believe. And because I love myself so much, and I'm proud of myself, I am here to talk to them because I want them to feel the same things that I feel. So we just, we start having conversation like really deep conversation. And it's great to see the kids interact. You know, the kids are always wanting to ask questions. Well, what did you do about this? Or I have children that tell me about some of the struggles in their life. And then it's always wonderful at the end when the kids are crying and they're saying, thank you so much for coming to visit me. I feel special. I feel important. That's what I need to happen. So, I mean, it's, it's really enlightening. It's really gratifying. I know I leave there feeling fulfilled, knowing that these children are fulfilled as well. What are your aims for the program? Just that, for the, for the kids to be fulfilled, for the kids to have self-worth, believe in themselves, know that they're capable of doing anything. So moving forward, I just, I, I want to visit more schools. 
Do you have long-term engagement with them or do, or do you go once and not see them again? Oh no, I try to see them again. <laughs> yeah, I, I try, I, yeah, I try to see them again. Uh, in fact, there were days years ago when I might've worked at some after-school programs and I engaged with the kids. And this, this is before um, me even, me coaching with the Jets. This is before me starting my own company. And I still visit those kids <laughs> under under a different program. Yeah, I remember a little boy, a middle school kid that I met, and his name was Tomar. I remember the teachers in the school when they met me, and they said, "Oh, you're in which which classroom are you in?" And I told them the number because I had never been to this school before. I said, "This is the classroom I'm going to be in." And both of these teachers said, "Oh, yeah, those kids are really bad." Oh, and watch out for this guy and this guy. Oh, and this girl's a problem also. And I thought, how horrible is that? So these teachers are giving me a, a first impression, their first impression, or their lack of how to handle these children. And I could now treat this kid bad the way they are. I didn't think about treating this kid bad. I went in there and spoke to them like we are all equal. And sure enough, this kid Tamar was a little difficult, but you gotta understand, I understand why he was like that. Because if everybody in every classroom, he's now got a history of being the bad kid. So he's already prejudged. So he's not treated equally. Well, I'd say after two days of working in this, in this classroom, I remember him coming in and he sat there, he pulled out his homework. He started doing it and he was quiet and I gave him praise for that. And he looked at me like, you're giving me praise? Like nobody does that. And I could see how much he needed it. And, um, wow. <laughs> I could still see his face and he was so surprised that he was being treated good. And we had a discussion about you know respect of yourself and respect of others and um, it went a long way with him i have gone back to see him at that school even after i left that program yeah so i these children are like all my kids <laughs> <laughs> right right you said something interesting that you didn't love yourself and i've read that you said at 42 when you discovered football you started to love yourself yeah. That's so fascinating to me that sports brought you that. Yes, yeah, sports definitely brought me that. Um, love of self, um, love of worth. Uh, football definitely changed my mindset about me. Because I, I believe that I never thought about me. I, I, be, I honestly believe that um, because of the, the several rapes that I had gone through in my life, and, and you know, listen, Two of the rapes were from a family member when I was a freshman in college. And um, my family disowned me. I mean, they didn't say, we're disowning you. But if I go to my grandma's house, which is the second home that I grew up in, and everybody's there, and the, the very person that raped me is there as well, and everyone's saying, hey, how you doing, Ron? Good to see you. You know, grandma made gumbo. 
and some shrimp etouffee. Want some? It's really good. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, everybody knows he raped me and twice, but he's here in my home and our home. Wow. So that played a big, horrible part on my psyche. Um, and that was a very pivotal age, you know, for me, 18 years old, freshman in college. The sky is the limit. And I always wanted to go to Tuskegee, all black university. And I wanted to have my doctor of veterinary medicine degree from that school, from that very school. And I never finished. And so on so many levels, things were falling apart. So I, I, I wasn't worthy. I didn't deserve goodness. I didn't deserve to be happy. That's that. No one's going to support me, not even my family. Um, well, then whatever. That's kind of how I lived my life. You know, I had a, hard, a lot of horrible relationships since then. And um, then I found football. And, oh, my God. I remember going to the football field for tryouts. And first of all, I was like floored that there were women professional football players in the world. <laughs> and you had never heard about that? Never heard about it. And it had been going on since 1999. I didn't discover it until 2011 when I was 42. So imagine my surprise. And I mean, I literally, my eyes got big like, I was spooked almost, like, what? Now, no way. So driving up to that football field and then taking it all in and seeing 45 to 50 women in full equipment on a football field with coaches yelling at them, praising them, and, and telling them what to do with technique, I was, all of a sudden, it was like, ah. <laughs> You know, hearing hearing these women yell down, set, hut. I I was awake. I was alive. And I think the way that I looked at it was these very women are strong. They're powerful. They're doing something that the world says we cannot do. And they're doing it. How dare me not love myself? Not, not think bigger. And, and so from that point, I challenged myself for the better every day. Every day after that first day, even just at tryouts. You know, I got rid of people in my life that were no good. You know, I, um, I was hanging out with, you know, girls that were doing drugs and drinking and staying up until 3, 4, 5, 6 a.m. in the morning. And for me, that was a regular Friday night. You know, and so after you're drinking all night, what happens the next day? You're sleeping the whole day away. <laughs> <laughs> I would wake up at 8 p.m. the next day. Just simply to use the facilities, get something to eat, and go back to sleep. <laughs> and then I'd go to work. Now, mind you, I always had great jobs. I know. I was going to say that it's not like you weren't successful. 
I was still very successful, but my partying was my partying. So I, it, it's, it's so interesting because I worked for Swatch Watch. I was their marketing coordinator. I was in Atlanta in 1996 for the Olympics. I, I worked with an aircraft company. I marketed planes, cargo conversion planes to passenger and vice versa. Trust me, when I went to work, I did my job. But when I left work, it was like, where am I going? Let's go out and everybody's gonna get drunk and we're gonna have so much fun. This is what life is. I discovered that's not what life is, you know? And I discovered that through football. And, you know, listen, 42 years old and these girls are much younger than me and they're running faster than me. They're doing more shuttle drills. They're doing more L drills in a faster time. And, and I could have been defeated by that. But for me, it was like, you know what? I'm even surprised I'm out of here. So kudos to that. And then I found out how to increase my speed. So I would do that diligently. And every day I would challenge myself against myself. But the empowerment came from being around these strong women. And so it was amazing to me. I mean, absolutely amazing. From that very first day of discovering football in New York with all women, I left a boyfriend. <laughs> I was like, don't bother coming over anymore. I'm done. Goodbye. Take care. In fact, I don't even care if you don't take care. Just goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I made phone calls to friends, both male and female, just, you know, friends. And I would say, you know what? I'm going to fall back a little bit here. So I'm not interested in hanging out. Don't bother calling me. I have uh, different responsibilities and duties, so bye. I thought it was going to be the hardest thing in the world. You know, like literally when they said that practices were at like 8 a.m. on Saturday mornings. Um, I'm going to sleep at 8 a.m. from the night before usually. So I didn't think I was going to be able to make it or take it or handle it. I was in love with it. I found I was working out in my apartment working out in the park across the street from where I live in Forest Hills. And I would go to sleep at a decent hour. I'd wake up early and I felt great about it. The sky was the limit now. I'm now living life for the first time. It was beautiful. It still is. <laughs> I, I'm amazed. I mean, that happened. It sounds like the way that you tell the story, it happened in one day, like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I want to say that... Um, that, you know what? That one day that one day at tryouts, my whole mindset changed. My whole mindset changed. I remember going back to my car after football practice, and I used to smoke cigarettes. I got back to my car and I saw the box of cigarettes in the console. I threw them away. I actually, funny thing, I rolled the window down and I threw the whole, it was a brand new pack. A smoker does not do that. Well, I threw the pack out the window and then I rolled the window up and started to drive off. And then I said, Colette, you're not gonna litter. Pick that up and put it in the garbage can. So I stopped the car, put my, I put my hazard lights on, stopped the car, got out, picked up the pack of cigarettes that I threw that were behind the car now and looked for a garbage can, ran across the street, threw it in the garbage can, got back in my car, happy, proud and empowered. It's just great. 
And I really like the lesson that you pointed out about how important it was to be hanging out with those really strong women and how that was one of the things that was so impactful. Absolutely. And what are those women like? What are those Sharks football players like? So, you know, they are, they've ranged from like some of their occupations. Um, some are school teachers, lawyer, uh, um, a, a principal, assistant principals. Some work at Taco Bell. <laughs> I mean, the, the scale is from one end of that spectrum to the other. Girls that were college students. Some girls that were still trying to find themselves. You know, a mixture of white, black, short, tall, fat, skinny, heterosexual, gay, and everything in between. And it was just amazing that from all walks of life, we've come together. One team, you know, one goal, one dream. It, it was beautiful to me because you got to understand, I didn't have that. You know, I didn't, I didn't have that. I didn't have that. I, you know, I was accustomed to, you know, flying down to go see my grandparents and my, all my family. That was my other family, my mom's side of the family. And I would drive in or fly in and they would say, all right, Colette, don't start anything. You know, Ron is here, my aunt's husband who raped me. I'm saying this because I would go down there and I was being told, like I was a bad guy, don't start anything, don't say anything. And then I remember having times with my grandmother. And I listen, I love my grandma and my grandpa. And I would say, Grandma, I just don't like that um, Ron is here. And then I said, and, and Aunt Colette, like, she told me she wished I was dead and that I was a liar. Grandma, I would never lie about this. I love Aunt Colette. And I would never lie, but she thinks I'm a liar. That really, is, it hurts. And my grandmother would just look at me and she would say, child, just leave that in the past, okay? Just, just leave that alone. You want some gumbo <laughs> and some cornbread? And that's what I got, you know? So for me, I never had someone that supported me. I mean, if I think about it, no one ever, even my sister, you know, my, my, my sister. I mean, my sister knew how hurt I was and my sister would still engage with Aunt Colette and, and her husband. And I don't care if it was just, hi, how you doing? And give, give her a hug. That's a betrayal of me. You're my sister. You know, so that's, that's all I had for many of my years on this earth. So to be around women in football that were all here supporting each other, crying together, laughing together, challenging each other together was something that I wasn't accustomed to, but it, damn, did it feel beautiful. <laughs> and, you know, you bring something else up is that sports, I mean, even today, sports is one place that women can be aggressive or assert. I mean, even assertive is not always looked well on. But sports, yeah, they can do it. And in football, it's like that's what you're supposed to be doing. Right. Yeah. You know what? We used to get yelled at. I would get yelled at a lot by the coaches because if I tackle somebody, I would always go, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> 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 and the coach 
And listen, I wasn't the only one that would say that. Some of the other girls would too. And you know, and then and then the other half was like, "Get up, shake it off, let's go, let's do it again." <laughs> so it was interesting. And 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 the girls that would say, "Get up, let's do it again," they had been playing for many years. It was the the, the newer crew, the girls that only played one two years. That were still under the mindset of, "Oh, I'm sorry." <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, that's great. So I I read this morning in my last minute preparation for talking to you that the New York Sharks are turning into the New York Wolves. Um. So they're actually not turning into them. Okay. So but the 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 New York Sharks have been around since 1999. The owner of the team has been wanting to sell. Not you know what? Let me change that word. Not wanting to, but needed to sell the team for several years she had been talking about it because she's been with this with this team since its inception in 1999 and there's so much work to do i mean i realized that from being a part of this team on all capacities from being a player to being a coach to doing the marketing pr promotions and events it's a lot of work and there's no real support for us meaning at our football games, you might see 100, maybe 150 people if you're lucky. Long story short, this was our final year. 20th year anniversary, the Sharks, we won the Super Bowl, and the owner said, this is it. So she sold the team, which is, an interesting, which is interesting because, in my opinion, she didn't really sell it because the, the, the new owners are not allowed to call the team the Sharks. <laughs> so... Uh, the, the, the Sharks were sold. It's under new ownership for the 2019 season. They will be called the Wolves. There will be some Sharks that continue on with the new team because they love football. And then there are going to be many girls that will not continue on because they played for so many years. Their body needs a break anyway. And so um, it's going to be interesting how that plays out. Yeah. And, and what's the future for women's professional football? I mean, from the outside, selling the New York Sharks, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff, but you certainly mentioned the money aspect of it, which is not great. It isn't great at all. It's horrible. There's absolutely no support. You know, the, it's a, if you were to come to games, you would see only or mostly players, parents, <laughs> players' boyfriends or girlfriends, players' cousins. There weren't guys that we didn't know out there. I mean, I started doing the marketing for the team. I had Jets fans coming out to games. And these Jets fans would wear, they would say to me, what colors do you want us to wear to watch the sisters of the New York Jets play at the game, at your game? And I said, you know what would make me most proud? And the girls? if you wore your New York Jets jerseys. And so we'd have 10 or 12 Jets fans come out there with their jerseys on, with their Jets flags. One guy made a Sharks flag and they'd have on their Jets helmets. And st- I mean, it was incredible. And they were the biggest cheerers for us, but you can't survive off of just 12 outside sources to come <laughs> to games, you know? 
we were appreciative of that, and I am forever in gratitude to them, but it's, it's, it's difficult. Now, on the opposite side of that spectrum, if you go to Pittsburgh or Boston, you know, um, or Utah, that's football country. You know, those are football countries. So they have a much bigger uh, fan base than we do in New York. It was, a, it was very challenging here in New York doing the marketing and PR for the Sharks because this is New York. People are going to the theater, they're going to restaurants, they're going to the club. There's so many options, right? So it was hard to sell that here. Interestingly enough, you asked about the future of women's football. I just accepted to be the, the director of government and community relations for a brand new women's football league that's going to model itself bigger and better than the NFL. Wow. And we are going to take this league on seriously, setting a standard for how a league should operate for their teams, which we have not received from the two leagues that I played in. And listen, I'm not trying to bash anybody. My leagues, the WFA and the IWFL, I was happy they existed. I got to play under those leagues with my team in New York, but they weren't going the extra mile. And I get it because these people aren't getting paid, you know, so everybody has to have their own respective jobs, careers, and then do whatever they can for the league real quick. <laughs> and, it, and it showed that it was like, real quick, we're throwing this together. So this new league is called the WNFC. I'm, I'm sorry, the Women's National, Women's Foot, ah, me, <laughs> it's brand new. The, 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 the new league is called the WNFC, Women's National Football Conference, the WNFC. And we've got a shield logo. We've got some heavy hitters. The CEO, the COO, the, the director of marketing. We have a commissioner. We've got director of football operations. We've, I mean, we, you name it, we are really going to make this big and strong and uh, model ourselves bigger and better than the NFL. And what exactly are you going to be doing? What's your role going to be? I'm, I am the um, director of government and community relations. So that means that we're going to have national community service related organizations for us to work with. So for instance, when I was doing the marketing and PR promotions and events for the Sharks here in New York, I had my team sign up to be Make-A-Wish official wish granters, community service, which was good for the community good for these children, and then good for us too. So the idea is that all the teams in this new league are going to adhere to the government programs that, that I'm going to initiate contact for, for all the teams in their respective cities and states. So the idea is that I'm going to have Let's, in fact, I can tell you what I'm going to have. I'm, I'm going to be heading up uh, or, or working towards us benefiting breast cancer, 
We're going to be a part of the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. We're going to do an anti-bullying campaign. We're going to do a tackle reading day for us and, and lots of other things. And so every team is going to be able to do their respective part for their respective community as a whole of the league. Just like the NFL, you know, they do anti-bullying, they do, you know, whatever it is they do. So I'm, I'm forming national partnerships for our league. How many teams are there going to be? Well, we hope to have as many as possible. You know, um, actually, actually, let me take that back. Not as many as possible. We're hoping to have teams that are strong, great coaches. So ideally, we'd like to start off a minimum of about six. We could do four and just show, show how it's supposed to be done. Show how a league takes care of their teams and empowers the players and gives fans uh, a high-quality product to view during games. Will the players be paid? That, well, that's our goal. Yeah. So we've got, a, we've got a model, a three-year model right now. We've got a lot of great things that are going to happen. I mean, with, with television, radio, exposure in airports, on those TV screens all over the place. I mean, we've got some serious stuff cooking. And, and this is what the other leagues aren't doing or looking into. Or you know what? Maybe they looked into it, but it was too much time. Like, ah, whatever. We're not doing that. We are going the distance. It's game on. A new day setting a standard, a standard for excellence, the way women should be treated within football in our league. It's interesting that, and I've heard you say this on other interviews, but that your goal is to establish a professional women's football league versus having women in NFL. Oh, yeah. I, I, I do not believe that women should be playing in the NFL. I mean, leave it alone. Like, you know, if, if you speak to most of us players, I'd say 98, you know what, 99.9% of us women football players, we're not trying to play for the NFL, in the NFL. We've got our own league. <laughs> you know, the idea is to grow our league, to be a big force, a known league like the NFL or bigger. So most of us women football players are not, I don't, I disagree with any woman that wants to play in the NFL. I mean, you know what, good for her. That's great, good for you. But we have our own respective league. And at the end of the day, they are men, we are women. And I respect that. I'm not saying we're less than or more than. We're just different. And, 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 and you know, in physicality, that's about it. Are you going to be involved in coaching at all? Do you miss coaching? Um, I, that's, a, that's a tough question because football will forever live in me. Football is never going to go away. I, you know, I miss playing more than coaching. <laughs> <laughs> I miss playing more than coaching. Um, you know, I, I think I, if I had to say I was angry about anything, it would be that I found football at a late age in my life. So I really want to give that back to, I, I want to give that to girls that are, that are young to be able to take this and harness it. Now, I, I do miss coaching. I mean, I love it. I, I, I totally love it. But you need to know that I was never allowed to dream about being a football coach one day. 
You know, so it, it, it literally wasn't one of my dreams because I wasn't allowed to dream that. So for me, was it a beautiful experience? Absolutely. You know, I, I chose to start my own company now to empower black youth, girls, and women to believe in themselves. So that is where my heart has taken me. I, I will say, though, watching the Jets game, the very first preseason game, I teared up a little bit like, damn, I missed this shit. <laughs> Are you exercising now, training, anything like that? Oh, I work out throughout the day. So I don't, I don't believe in going to the gym. Personally for me, I don't need a gym. I have my weights. I do my push-ups. I do my squats. Uh, yeah, I stay in shape. So throughout the day, if I'm sitting at my computer too long, what I like to call grinding, I will just get up and turn up the music and just do some cardio. And then I start doing some workouts and stuff. So for me, I, I, I stay in shape by um, working out on a daily basis. And then there's some days I don't even get to it. I'm like, Ugh, I'm going to bed. It's 11 p.m. I haven't eaten all day. I've been on this computer all day. So uh, there's some days that I miss working out, but it's, it's definitely something that's going to stay with me forever. You talked early in our conversation about going into the schools as a black woman, as a represent, representing black women. Talk a little bit about why that's so important and why it's so important to see yourself in a role model. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I ever thought of myself as a role model until um, too late, but I didn't have role models growing up, like, you know, meaning people coming to my school, you know, that said we were important. So for me to have the platform of the NFL's first African-American female coach, I didn't realize that, that that's a big deal. Yeah. And, you know, that, you know, funny enough, do you know who told me about that? Billy Jean King. I do. I saw that. It was awesome. Yeah, I'm like, what the heck? Huh? What? I mean, I wasn't even thinking that. I knew I was the Jets' first female coach in their franchise history, and I was very proud and honored with that. And then I see Billy, and she's like, Glut, you know, you know, you're the first. She goes, this is a big deal. And I said, yeah, it's a big deal. It's pretty cool, right? And she goes, she goes, you're making light of this. I said, no, I'm not making light of it. She goes, you do realize you're the first black female coach in the NFL, right? And I looked at her and I said, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, wow. I said, no, I was just in, I was gleefully excited about being a coach in, you know, with the Jets. Like, I was happy with that. You made me happier, Billy. Thanks, I appreciate it. <laughs> so that is important. I know um, my black community has really embraced me a lot. And that feels wonderful. I mean, you know, having a first black president, having, you know, black universities, when, you know, when black people weren't even allowed to read a book, and then to have black people create colleges, that's a big deal. You know, the stuff that we had to go through, these moments are big deals. So I take, I'm, I am most proud because people say, oh, this is Colette. 
she's the first female to coach for the New York Jets. And they're like, hi, Colette, meet so-and-so. And I said, you know what? I'm sorry, but I'm most proud that I'm the first black female coach in the NFL. <laughs> and it's a big deal. You know, these women are, you know, once again, I think it just starts to unlock, pop open their minds that we can do anything, that we are not going to limit ourselves. That's what this means to me. I mean, you know, when I, if, if I thought about it, I'm like, oh my goodness. I mean, I, I can think about what I would think if I heard that there was some woman that was the first African-American female coach. I might be like, oh, hell yeah. You know what? I'm gonna work a little bit harder. So it is important. And it's, you know, to, to others and, and, and to me. And I'm going to, you know, carry that with me, that torch, raise that torch up and, and do good with it as much as I possibly can. I mean, you're a role model to me in all, everything that you've done and, you know, your strength and going big. Do you have advice for, you know, not kids, but for older women going into business? Yeah, um, respect your instincts, speak your mind. You know, I, I, you know, I would tell any woman right now, when you're in a boardroom, you're in a meeting with your, with, your, with your peers, with your colleagues, and you are thinking of something that might, that you wanna say, that's going to help whatever department you work in or what have you, to say it, to say it. I, you know, I mean, literally, to speak up. I did not do that for a lot of my years in corporate America. Like, oh, let me, I have a great idea. This could be really good, but you know what? It might not be a good idea. So let me just not say anything. And then maybe the next day you hear somebody talking about my idea, like good grief. And then I think about it, like, you know, with us, with us women, if a man speaks up and his idea sucks, it's not like, oh, you're horrible, you're dumb. Don't speak again ever. It's just simply, you know what, that won't work because of X, Y, and Z. And the guy's like, oh, okay. Yeah, you know what, you're right, makes sense, okay. And you know, for a woman, let, let's have that too. Let's have that too. Speak up, have confidence in yourself. Literally, have confidence in yourself. But I would also suggest and say, we gotta do a little bit more homework than, than the men. You know, we have to be, Always got to have something extra in your pocket. <laughs> Those backup plans in your pocket. Come equipped with backup plans all the time. Be two steps better than the next guy and speak up for yourself. That's great advice. What are your long-term goals 10 years from now, five years? To be global, to have believe in you, to be a global company reach a bigger mass. I'm gonna be going to Africa, as a matter of fact, soon to empower girls there in, in football, in American football. So for me, 10 years from now, I see Believe in You all over the place, from Bengali to Africa, to, <laughs> you know, France, New Zealand, um, every school to have my program in their school, uh, especially here in New York. Like my target is to get into every single school in New York. That's a big order. Yeah, 
I'm up for it. (laughs) (laughs) So why is coaching so important? Teaching skills, essential life skills. You know, coaching is more than baseball or football, although that is extremely important. But uh, you're giving these kids a serious, solid foundation on how to conduct themselves. You know, when you play a sport, you are making yourself responsible, you know, accountable. And that's what uh, coaching is all about. And up to us, sports is doing a phenomenal job with that, empowering these children. What were you just doing for them in Philadelphia? Oh, my gosh. I absolutely love respect and want to do anything I can to help up to us sports. They're doing a great job with teaching coaches to be better coaches. So it's funny because they're coaching coaches to be better coaches. (laughs) And these very coaches are helping the community. That is something that I love and live by. They had their coach training sessions in Philadelphia and I was there as a guest speaker during their training and involved in a few of their training sessions as well. It was amazing. I had a great time there. And um, I think it's just amazing to be able to discuss my journey, uh, be it unorthodox as it is, with people to help them grow. I love that they address the issue that coaching is not easy and not everyone should be coaching. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There, I know many coaches in the world that should not be coaches. <laughs> right. You know, the other thing I really like about it is they address the issue of how important it is for girls, young girls, to have female coaches, that there's a big difference between having a female coach and a male coach. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, that's, that's something that I learned by being a player with the New York Sharks. I had a female coach. My defensive backs coach Uh, Her name is JD, Coach JD, and she was my defensive backs coach, and she was just able to really break it down for us more than a man would or think about. You know, it's not that a man is incapable, it's just that he may may not think that we need to hear all the one plus ones and the two plus twos. You know, men are just moving on with calculus. (laughs) (laughs) No, so, so women coaches, female coaches, are able to understand and speak our language to us. Mm -hmm. What have you noticed, and maybe particularly in Philadelphia, something that they're teaching that may not be so obvious for the coaches that are coming there for training? Hmm. You know know what? For the new coaches that were there, they had some new coaches. Some of the skills they were teaching them uh, would, would not be to go to a level 10, start off with forming a relationship. See, coaching is also about relationship and a strong foundation. And that's what I think a lot of these new coaches may not have known about. Hopefully they already did, but if they if they came in there not knowing this, how much a relationship is important with being a coach and reaching these children, they certainly learned it with the Up To Us sports program that they had. Great. Is there anything that I haven't asked that I should ask? We didn't talk about all the social and political issues going on in football right now. Are you interested in talking about that? I I mean, I listen, I, I can talk about anything <laughs> I don't mind. Like, you know, whatever you whatever you want to ask me, fire away. I know that as of lately though, um, you, you know, I just I I was featured in a segment on HBO Real Sports. And I know that 
they cut out a lot of positive conversation that I had with children. And um, it kind of, boy, I tell you, I, you know, I'll be the first one to say we women should have a choice. Of course, everybody should have a choice. But I think that we are so conditioned by sexually objectifying women that they think it's so they being whoever they is, male and female, think it is okay to exploit women's bodies. And I am against that. I am against it. It's, I, I don't know. I, I mean, there, there's going to be some deeper conversations about that soon. Some programs are reaching out to me to delve into this topic a little bit deeper, and I'm happy to do so. I had somebody tell me or write about me on a tweet or something that called me, hail Colette Smith, like, you know, like, like I was Hitler, you know, <laughs> my beliefs are no beliefs. <laughs> and I was like, it's not what I'm saying, you know, just I just want people to respect women you know, not based on their appearance. I really liked in that segment that you weren't objecting to cheerleading. You were objecting to the way that they're clothed. Right. I mean, cheerleading is fun. And I, you know, I know going, when I was in high school and college, we had cheerleaders. They're, they weren't scantily dressed, you know. So, I mean, I, I like cheerleaders, but let's put some clothes on them, you know. You know, when, when, when we start going to work in a bikini and male and female, you know, does that make it right? It doesn't. You know, these women are athletes and I respect them, you know, and we, sh we should respect them. And I think they should respect themselves more. Well, I mean, the other thing that I think about a lot is that they're clearly not respected. They don't get paid or, you know, they don't get paid for the job they're doing, certainly. Yeah, well, you know, that, that too. But then I think about that. I mean, that makes me think more. So if we paid them, would it be okay if they were scantily dressed? No. <laughs> right? You know? So it's just like, everything is wrong with that. <laughs> like, everything <laughs> is so wrong with that. You know, the, the, the world has conditioned us to uh, just to make us accept it. Right. You know, I, I, I think about, and I hate to say this because I love animals. I'm a big advocate for animals. Nobody should be buying pets. Nobody should buy a puppy or kitten. Go save a life from the shelter. But if you think about it, if you train a dog to, you know, whatever it is you want him to, you give him a treat or you beat him. You know, you beat the dog enough, he's going to be scared. Well, to me, we've beat up into society that women are supposed to be sexy and wear no clothes to get attention. And it's not okay. Like, when are we going to wake up? This is 2018. You know, you're going to put a bikini on. Good. That means you're at the beach or you're at the pool. <laughs> you know, you're not on a football field, though. <laughs> like, give me a break. Are you hopeful? I am hopeful. I am hopeful. I think it's going to take a little longer than I'd like it to. <laughs> but... But I'm hopeful. Little by little, you know, there is positive change. 
I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So normally I end or often I end with questions about nutrition, but I know that you're a big animal lover and you just brought it up. So what pets do you have at home? So I have a rescued pit bull named Isabel and she is the biggest love bug. So I have a pit bull named Isabel. And then interestingly enough, my pit bull Isabel rescued a kitten. What? Yeah, I know that sounds kind of odd, but listen, I, I'm, I'm a dog girl. You know, I had a cat before, but I'm not really a dog person. I didn't want a cat. I mean, I love them, but I don't want one. And my dog and I were walking and um, this little bitty kitten came out of nowhere and just started screaming, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, like literally like, help me, where's my mom? I'm lost. I picked the kitten up, which is rare. Kittens don't let you pick them up usually. And the kitten let me pick him up. And my dog is just wagging the tail and like all excited and happy. I put the kitten back down in the grass away from the street. And I go to walk away and then I got pulled back by the leash. My dog pumped the brakes. My dog sat down and stopped, would not walk. And I said, Isabel, come on, let's go. She would not move. And she turned her head, looked at the kitten, looked back at me and would not move. And my dog is very obedient. And I was like, oh, Isabel, come on. And my dog would attempt to walk. And then she's like, no, 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 no. You're not gonna fool me here. We gotta save that kitten. So I picked the kitten up and my dog is like, okay, now we can walk home. So I got a <laughs> daggone cat here now. That's an awesome story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Charlie, Charlie, so it's Isabel and Charlie. So, yeah. yeah. Well, Colette, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I appreciate you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks to you for listening. Hear Her Sports was started to increase media coverage of female athletes and women in sport. 44% of athletes are women, and only 4% of sports media coverage is about women. That's not a number, it's a rounding error. Tell your friends about the podcast and about fantastic, strong women speaking up and doing amazing things. Please subscribe on iTunes, Subscribe to the Hear Her Sports newsletter or donate on hearhersports.com and encourage others to do the same. As women, we're all going to benefit from spreading the word and speaking up. Women in general, you, me, and my inspiring guests. A big thank you to Agnes Studio, the band Goldmines, the blog She Rides a Bike, and Leap Strategies for super support and partnership. I'll be back in two weeks. Bye-bye. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes 
valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with a pro tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!